It's wonderful to see God moving. Sometimes it can be a little strange for us, but uh, the key is that it's not strange for God. I was thinking when they offered fire, Eli's sons offered strange fire. It wasn't that it was holy, it was actually carnal. To God, that's strange. And so sometimes things can be a little bit strange to us, but as long as God is in it and God is doing it, this is what we desire. I trust that uh, the people came out on Friday night were blessed. We had Freedom House, and that is the call of this church, and I believe that the gospel, central to the gospel is freedom, a hunger for freedom, a desire for freedom. And James is actually going to touch on this today, freedom. You know, if you first came to the Lord and, and you came out of uh, uh, solitary confinement, as it were, like a, like a little cell block that was, that was a five-by-five cell that you came out of with no windows, etc., and you came out of that and you got into the regular prison cell, you might feel free, but I can tell you, you're still in prison. You might have got out of that bigger prison cell into the yard and you're like, wow, there's light out here and you're able to play basketball, you work out. We've all seen the shows. But you're still in prison. I can tell you that the Lord, your God, who died for you, is desirous for you to be free. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And so whether it's getting yoked again to a slavery of religion and law or sin, etc., God wants you free. And this is the crux of what James is going to get into today. And it's what we desire to see in our own lives. I say, Lord, help me eat first. As I proclaim the gospel to the world, let me eat the gospel. Let me eat from that table. If I say, guys, come and eat. I want sincerity in my own heart, my own revelation, to truly be a witness. Because a witness has seen something. I witness of Christ because I live with him. I speak with him. He feeds me daily. So we thank you, Lord, for this time together. We commit the word to you. We commit what you have for us to you, Lord. We yield ourselves. We open our hearts to receive the word implanted that's able to save our souls, to protect us, to take us to the end. We open our ears as much as we know how. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to continue in James here. Um, sorry, jump there. This is what we're looking to do in James today, cover. We're coming to the tail end of chapter 1 and getting into almost halfway through chapter 2. We're just going to trust the Lord would speak to us. You're going to see that he comes out swinging as usual. There's no mincing words with James. In some ways, you think he's very unchristian. Can you talk like that? I mean, it's very direct. Can't you couch it in nicer terms? A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, as it were. No, with James. Not with James. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this person's religious is worth, religion is worthless. All right. Pretty emphatic statement there. Pretty clear. In fact, the, present, the, the tense of this in, in uh, the Greek is, it's, it indicates continuous or repeated action. In other words, if, if one does not continuously restrain your tongue, he will continuously be deceived. Uh, in the, it's a way of life he's speaking of here. Is this a way of life that we just shoot off without restraint? He's saying the religion is useless or devoid of truth. Now you'll note there that he couples the tongue with the heart. And this is no accident because this is a true spiritual insight we get here from Luke chapter 6, verse 45. A good person produces good things from the treasure of a good heart. 
And an evil person produces evil things from the treasure of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. So you see, James is making a very clear statement about true worshipers of God and how it affects the way they speak and how it affects their heart. Because out of the mouth is just a reflection of the heart. The heart is changed. So the speech is changed. You keep it in check. Have you heard yourself lately? (laughs) Does your tongue reflect what you believe? Would your co-workers be shocked that you're a Christian? Really? Wow, you go to church? Now James is going to go way deeper into this in the next chapter, so I'm going to leave it there. But it is something that I have learned to do and God has showed me in my own life, like, listen to yourself, Nick. Like often we're asking God, show me. God, No, there's actually right there. You can see a lot of what your spiritual makeup is by the way you speak, just listening to yourself. And when you're not listening, what are you thinking? And this is, the, this is so much of what James is going to get into in the, the next chapter. But let's continue. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God. Uh, in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Pure, innocent. So innocent, undefiled, unsoiled religion. This is how the Father sees it, from his perspective. See, in ancient times, widows and orphans were powerless and at the, at the mercy of those around them because women couldn't work it was the men that were working and the, the, the society was filled up with a need to take care of these people. And in fact, God would indict the, the, um, Isra- the nation of Israel around widows and orphans. It was like a temperature gauge for them. And he would often bring out these, th- th- this when he was sending a prophet to them. And you see this with Isaiah. They deprive the poor of justice and deny the rights of the needy among my people. They prey on widows and take advantage of orphans. Interesting. Now, God's heart is not changed towards people that are marginalized in the culture, on the, on the peripheral. We have to ask ourselves, what are our hearts? What is our perspective towards those people? Do we even think about it? Is it even a thought? This is the challenge that he, he is giving us here, James. And, and he continues here and he says, to keep yourself unstained from the world. Peter speaks on this. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found spotless and blameless by him at peace. Spotless, unstained. Have you always noticed that stains are unintended things that happen? It's like, dude, you have chili last night? Well, why? Why do you say that? Well, it's right here. Unstained. It's not intentional. It's ne- it's a, it's a, it generally happens with neglect. It's lack of focus. It just kind of happens. You're making dinner, it's spitting up, it's doing its thing. It's very important to understand the, the consequences of neglect. And even in Hebrews chapter 2, it speaks of be careful lest you neglect so great a salvation. It's not intentional. You love the Lord. I love the Lord. I love Jesus. But it's neglect. It's a lack of focus. It's slippage. Things enter in over time. 
so we come to the end. This is actually the last, last verse in chapter 1. And it's amazing to me to see what James is calling us in, in these 27 verses too. Like, okay, it's enough. I don't need to go on. But, but consider this. It, he's calling us to something that we may not be living, but it must be within us to be able to live it. He's not calling someone without no legs to dunk a basketball. It must be within you. He's going to speak to your spiritual man if you're in Christ. He's calling us higher. He's not calling us to mediocrity. How many of us want to go to school and be mediocre in all that we do? No one aims for mediocrity, but most people hit it. How many people are really good at their jobs? Very few. Because mediocrity is the atmosphere we live in. And he's calling us higher. He's saying, I know what's in you. And he's calling us to that. And to me, that's exciting. Let's continue into chapter 2 here. My brother and sisters, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes in your assembly with a gold ring and is dressed in bright clothes, and a poor man in dirty clothes also comes in, and you pay attention to the one who is wearing the bright clothes, you say, sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Interesting. Let's just unpack this a little bit. He's pointing out some errors that are going on in the church. Favoritism, partiality, bias. And this is probably far more ingrained in you than you know. That you have a proclivity to like this versus that. That you're drawn to certain people and not to others. And it's just something that he's highlighting here. This this, this favoritism. And it's really interesting in in Peter here is, in, in the New Testament, God points this out to Peter, his favoritism, his bias. And he actually, in Acts chapter 10, he challenges Peter to go and see a Gentile. A centurion. And of course, as a Jew, he's never been to a Gentile's house, most likely. Not, not even eaten with him. And God actually has to come to him three times. It's so ingrained in him that he would prefer the Jew over the Gentile. It's just the truth. It's early on. And even James got caught up in this. We know this uh, from, from scriptures in Galatians. But God sends Peter to this man's house, this Gentile's house, Cornelius, and God moves in the spirit of, and baptizes him in the Holy Spirit. Cornelius and his whole household, this Roman centurion. And this is what Peter says. Opening the mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, that one who fears him and does what's right is acceptable to him. This was a real highlight. Now this, 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 this um, bias was so ingrained in Peter that he would sometimes stray from it. And it can be in you as well, depending on how you've been brought up. But God does not show partiality. God is not a respecter of persons. You say, thank goodness. Because he actually knows everything about you. He talks about judging appearance. This is an interesting passage in Samuel. 
When Samuel sent to anoint the king, Samuel goes, I know what a king looks like. And this is what God says to him. When they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointing is standing before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God does not see as a man sees, since, a, since man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Obviously, we look at the outward appearance. Look at all the fashions and the weird fashions. When I go shopping for my girls, it's just the most bizarre fashions that girls have. It doesn't change like men. Men just are pretty simple. But I'm like, what are they? Like the mid-drift thing, huh? I got a beef about that. Yeah, men should not be wearing that either, by the way. But he, he narrows it down to rich and poor. In this particular instant, there was a real dis- discrepancy. And what I take and glean from this is, how do we treat people we feel we can benefit from? Versus how do we treat people that we feel we cannot benefit from? Even a good conversation. Oh, it's just good. Finances, it's obvious here that you can get something, but, but there's also just self-esteem. There's, there's these non-physical things that can happen to us where it's like, oh, shoot, I don't want to talk to him. It happens all the time. Oh, they're just going to go on and on about that same thing. I get it. They're God's son. They're God's daughter. They're children of God that within the church here that we need to treat each other without partiality and stop judging people in the way they look. He continues into here into verse 5 um, in the need to see things differently. Listen, my brothers, my beloved brothers and sisters. Did God not choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? which he promised on those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Is not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the good name by which you have been called? God has chosen the poor to be rich in faith, heirs of the kingdom. What does that mean? It's interesting to think the poor he need to have faith daily for their basic needs. They grow in faith. If God doesn't come through, there's nothing. They must be active, intentional in their faith. When they get up and say the Lord's Prayer, they literally mean it, is what he's getting at. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me, O God, this day my daily bread. The position of, as it were, weakness. And this is the juxtaposition to this is instruct those who are rich in the present world not to be conceited or to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. This is, this is so important to get through to us in the first world particularly. It's the second time he, pick, he brings up the disadvantage that we would see the disadvantage of being poor. He says it's an advantage. The question to me is, what is he getting at here? What is the crux of what he's saying? It seems to me God wants us to be more and more dependent on him. This is the maturing process of the Christian. Hmm. That's in contrast 
with us and our children. We look to our children to become more independent. God is looking for his children as they grow to become more dependent. When we're born in the natural, we completely depend on our parents. If you, any of you had babies out there screaming and hollering? It's quite a pathetic thing when you bring them home. They can do nothing. They're completely dependent, and they know it. That's why they scream. All they've got is that voice, and it is powerful. But when we are born again into God, he's, he's taking people who are rebellious, who have lifted their fist against God, who are, who are against God, who are independent. That's the nature of humanism, independent from God. And he brings them in and they're born again. And he's teaching them to become dependent on him. Do you ever wonder why he took the children of Israel out of Egypt? Through a desert. Extremely hostile environment. I believe it's he wanted to prove to them he could provide for their daily needs before he'd prove to them he could take Canaan for them. Because if you don't believe God's going to provide your daily needs, why would you ever believe God was going to do greater things? He says, I will provide your food, I will provide your shelter. And it was hot, and it was dusty, and the kids were crying, and, and the, the, the sand would get into the manna, and it was just brutal. God says, I am the Lord, your provider. Do you believe that? Are you dependent on him? Is it constantly weighing you down? We must get past that. On to the work of the kingdom. These are the basic fundamental needs that God already knows that you need. But how much of our life can be consumed in eating and drinking and clothing and shelter? How much of our prayers are consumed with these things? I'm not saying they don't need to be prayed about. But the focus is God is my provider. Let's get on with the business of the kingdom. And I believe that's seen throughout scripture. But oh, how Israel stumbled in provision. Oh, how they questioned God. And you see, when they tried to take the land, God did not go with them. And they could not take the land. We need to understand this in the deeper parts. And this is what the New Testament is teaching us about rich versus poor. Where do you depend? Where's dependence? Are you still in independent? This is the place for growth and maturity that you've got to get square with God. He clearly says there was something going on with the oppression of the rich taking them into court. And there was something going on at this time in the culture. Maybe for us, I was trying to think of it, maybe it's like movie stars. We all love movie stars that come in, but, but you're like those movie stars that speak against everything you believe to be right. But we esteem them. You know, you try to think of different ways. That's kind of what he's getting at. See, pass the, the veneer, the, the one-inch veneer into the spiritual realm. Be spiritual people with spiritual eyes and spiritual thoughts. See, past all of the fiction that's put up to see what's really going on. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as violators. Now keep in mind, he's speaking to the dispersion. He's speaking to Jews here. They'd be very well versed in the law. They grew up on it. They would know exactly what Paul's getting at here. The royal law, the kingly law, that which Christ himself said, no doubt he is, he is uh, referring to Jesus in Matthew 22 and other places that, 
This is the royal law on which all the prophets and the law hinge is upon loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might and loving your neighbors yourself. It's almost like these massive, there's two pegs that they hang on. Love. Love for God. Love for your neighbors. And so he's challenging him in this. Stop with the partiality. Stop doing this. I'm just going to wait on the Lord to deliver me. No, you stop. I'm just going to wait for the Lord to stop me going to that website. You stop going to the website. Stand up. If you have Christ in you, I speak to who you are spiritually. You're no longer a victim. You're victorious in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a violator of the law. He's simply saying is, if you get busted for shoplifting, the law will come after you. You don't have to break every point of the law in order for the law to come after you. Maybe they won't come after you in the culture we're in, but, but you understand. And Paul uses the same principle to rebuke the church in Galatia when he says, you guys started in the spirit and you're going to be perfected in the flesh. And he, and he rebukes them for this, this, this law that they brought on themselves. And just as when they were under law, we do not pick and choose the things in which we obey under Christ and the law of liberty. We are called to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we know the Good Samaritan, the story of the Good Samaritan, is such an expression of that in the Lord that we would love even the people that we don't like. And I do love, I like the way love is a command, not like. Because you might not like people, but you've got to love them. I have five brothers, six boys in eight years in my family. Some of them I actually really like. And some of them are so different from me. We don't have the same. We just miss each other. But I do love every one of them. Love. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment it would be merciless to the one who has been shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Interesting. Hmm. How we talk and live our lives, it says. How we speak, how we act. Are you under the law of freedom? Do we live free? When Jesus came in, unlocked the cell, you called out to him, he unlocked the cell, he says, come on out. Do we just go into the outer court? outer courtyard of the prison. Are we just content with that? Because it really sucked being in solitary confinement. This is much better. I'm good with it. Because that was the Israelites. They didn't take all the land. Because they were content with the land they got. What do we do with this law? Do we go out after Jesus has set us free to be enslaved again? Do we say, Nick, I have every right to not have mercy under Jesus. I just plead the blood of Jesus Christ because he died on the cross so I could be merciless. It's bizarre thinking. Jesus died so I could be free to sin. That's what a lot of people think. It's bizarre thinking. You have been set free. What will you do with that freedom? You know the Corinth church? 1 Corinthians 6, 12. All things are permitted for me, but not all things are beneficial. 
All things are permitted for me, but I will be mastered by anything. Another way he says, all is lawful, but not all is profitable. You know? Am I free to smack my head with a pencil? Yeah, but it's probably not profitable. What will you do with your freedom? It's a weird thing, because if you are a slave and you have a slave mindset, and you've been a good slave, as we all have from, from, our, from the day we were birthed, to come into this idea of freedom is very difficult. And even when you're desiring the things of God and you want to be holy, you will reach for law. But that doesn't work either. You're just enslaved on this side now, but you're still a slave. All things are permitted, but not all things are a benefit. All things are permitted, but not all things build people up. No one is to seek his own advantage, but rather that of his neighbor. That's quite a statement. It's quite a statement. No one is to seek his own advantage, but rather that of his neighbor. It's a powerful statement to make. You've got to stop looking out for yourself. You've got to start trusting you have a father in heaven. You've got to stop trying to be independent as an orphan. Orphan's got to look out for himself. Orphan doesn't know what he's eating tomorrow. Orphan's got to fight, kill, and steal, kick, and all the various things to feed them. But do you have a father? I notice my kids don't wake up in the morning crying, wonder who's going to pay the mortgage. I wonder crying. They don't have to think about that because their father has it. Their mother has it. But think how you live in spiritual realm. Think about how you live. If we, if we were to just to watch a camcorder, and it's just following you around. Sorry, camcorder, that's crazy. Um, your iPhone. And it was just to record your life for the last week. Record how you speak. Record how you, just, just all of the various, does it reflect that of a child of God? You say, Nick, that sounds condemning. No, dude, you got to get rid of that. You want to know the truth about yourself. Do not live in fiction. Refuse fiction. I want the truth. Only the truth will set you free. Only the truth will emancipate you. I don't care what the world says. My truth, this truth. Look, you can think gravity is offensive, but I wouldn't step off that building. It doesn't dissolve. We have to be people who are hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's when you press through all the noise and all the garbage. We would say, okay, Lord, not I, but Christ. Not I, but my neighbor. How can I be a servant, Lord? How can I serve Merciful. God wants us to be merciful to people. And it is sobering here. It is sobering. You know, he said, judge not others, lest ye judge yourself. And the standard by which you judge others, you yourself will be judged. Now, I don't know what your theology and doctrine and where you rightly divide the word. All I know is Jesus is saying this. That if you live as a merciless person, you will not receive mercy. It's just what it says. That we have to take ownership of allowing what we believe to come out of our hearts and our mouths and allow it to dictate how we live. Not just on Sunday, not just on Wednesday, but allow it to infect your life to, to, to become the reason and the force behind what we do what we do. He does call us a peculiar people, Peter. First Peter 2. And some of us more than others have said that before and that's true. This is the call to us. 
This is what we started with with Freedom House, liberty, the, the call to freedom, to rise up, to be effortlessly set free. And I love the scene in Galatians because he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And it's almost like the Lord comes up and you've called on him and he comes up and he, he, he undoes all these chains on you and you run and then you look back and you go, wait a second, why, why have you set me free? It is for freedom. Come on, there's got to be an agenda. Can I not repay you in some way? It is for freedom you have been set free. So do not yoke yourself again to religious slavery, sin slavery. Be mastered by nothing. All is profitable, but not all. Or sorry, all is lawful, but not all is profitable. What you watch, what you feed on, what you look at, what you spend your time, you're free. You're free, baby. But what's the fruit in your life? Is it profitable to you? Is it profitable to others around you? Is it helping? To know these principles about yourself, you can start to position your life to now sow into your life in a knowing way to change your life. To meditate on the Word of God. I don't feel like reading the Word. Well, then listen to it. I don't like listening. Get over it. Right? I mean, I know in our culture it's weird, but I'm just, we've got to press in. Hungry people get fed in the kingdom. There's so much resistance to us in the spiritual realm, pushing against us. And we can go on and on about what the devil's doing, but what's God doing? And we've got to push through that. And those are the people that find God. Those are the people who have sustained freedom. The ones who are desperate. The ones who lay aside various things, the encumbrance, the things that enslave and press into God. And are hungry, hungry for freedom. Are you free? Have you been set free? Do you know Jesus? Have you put your faith in him? If you know the son, you know freedom. Jesus brings freedom. How about areas of your life that you're bound in? Fear, unforgiveness, bitterness, lusts of all kinds. Jesus wants to set you free. But the question is, do you want to be set free? Everyone that came to Jesus was set free, but not everyone came to Jesus. It's a strange thing, but it must stir within you to desire it. Because you will have opposition. And if you're gonna, somebody's breath is going to push you back and you're going to be like, and boom, you're not going to make it. You've got to determine in your heart, I'm going to press through. We're going to see this. I'm going to apply this. As we look at James, this is the critical component. The application of the word of God. The taking it, the meditating on it, the, the, the devouring it and, and letting it get into us and walking it out. May God set us free. May God give us a desire to be free. And may we as a church be people that set other people free by the gospel of Jesus Christ and through the power of his spirit. That's what we do at Freedom House. Do we know what we're doing? Yeah, we know what we're doing by the word. Are we professionals? Nope. We're just regular people because that's who God uses. God's done with rock stars. He's the only one that's the rock star. He's done with other people taking his glory. He wants to mobilize this church to be a people who love freedom, who desire freedom, who walk free. When the COVID scare comes up, it's like, poof. Government conspiracies, poof. We're free, baby. We're above the clouds. We're fixed on Christ. We hear from the Father. This is the desire. Amen? Let's stand together, please. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. We lift your name high. We are the peculiar people. We believe, Jesus, that you are the Son of God. We believe there's no other name under heaven by which anyone can be saved. We believe you're the door. 
We believe that you're the door that Elon Musk will have to walk through. Bill Gates will have to walk through it. Joe Biden will have to walk through it. Trudeau will have to walk through it as we have walked through it. And if you don't know Jesus, you've got to walk through it too. And his name is Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would, you would pour over us and that you would convict and that you would draw and that you would show, Lord, where there's error in our lives. We don't want the error. Where we got blind spots, we don't see them because we're blind. We ask for you to reveal and draw your people to freedom. That we are out of Egypt and you would get Egypt out of us. We lift you high. We want to, to express your nature, your ways, your attitudes to the culture we're in. We want to live well and display the gospel to the people of this place and in this region. We ask that you would use us, Lord God. Use each one. Let no one be a bench player. Let each one be desirous to be active in the game, as it were. So we lift our lives to you, Lord God. Draw us, move upon us, we pray. We give you our hearts afresh, Lord God. Because out of the mouth comes the abundance of the heart. We want to love you first and foremost and love our neighbors ourselves. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just going to ask these guys to play this last song.